Over the past few weeks, we have been talking about what it means to be a neighbor. And Greg Martin really started this topic uh, back in January with a passage from Luke chapter 10. Uh, And in this story, it's a famous story. A Jewish lawyer, an expert in the law, comes to Jesus and asks, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? What do I have to do to be justified in the law? And Jesus says, of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, we're familiar with this. And the expert in the law, seeking to justify himself, he wanted to find out what's the minimum requirement. And so he asked, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus really didn't answer the question. The the man was asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a story of the most unlikely person, a Samaritan. Can you imagine? And this Samaritan actually chose to be a neighbor towards a Jewish person like the man who was asking the question. So Jesus didn't say, who is your neighbor? He said, this person that you couldn't imagine being your neighbor, this person can be a neighbor to you, to even someone like you, if they choose to be a neighbor. And so we all need to find our passports and find the nearest Samaritan. We're going to the West Bank. I think that's where we find them. I have a friend right now who's actually traveling in Israel, and maybe she'll run across a Samaritan. But for us, the term Samaritan really doesn't mean much. Actually, it has a different meaning for us now. Now it's someone who is a good Samaritan, someone who helps is the term. But Samaritan, doesn't, it doesn't evoke a reaction from us. You know, when we think about neighbors, we don't think about that story. But in our culture today, when we think about being a neighbor, of course, we think about Mr. Rogers. Uh, many of us who are of a certain age, I'll just say that, many of us grew up knowing about Mr. Rogers. We grew up learning about how to be a neighbor from Mr. Rogers. And you may not know this, but Mr. Rogers was a devout Christian. He was actually an ordained minister, and he viewed his television show as his ministry. He would actually pray before recording. He would pray every time. He would pray that the children would hear God's word through him. And I want to share this quote from Mr. Rogers to start us off today, this this idea. He says this, Christianity, to me, is a matter of being accepted as we are. Jesus certainly wasn't concerned about people's station in life or what they looked like or whether they were perfect in behavior or feeling. How often in the New Testament we read of Jesus' empathy for those people who felt their own lives to be imperfect and the marvelous surprise and joy when they sensed his great acceptance. Mr. Rogers was trying to teach the love of Jesus uh, through his television show. He was trying to demonstrate the love of Jesus. He was trying to illustrate the teachings of being a good neighbor. And Mr. Rogers chose to demonstrate his acceptance in his relationship with Mr. Francois Clemens. Uh, If you're familiar with the show, you know that Francois Clemens was Officer Clemens. Uh, At a time in the 60s when there was heightened tension between the African-American community and the police in America, Uh, Mr. Rogers chose to have Francois represent the police officers and and try to try to maybe mend some of those issues or at least set a new precedent for the children that were going to be watching this show. You know, at this time, it would have been very uncommon for uh, an African-American person and a white person to be together. Segregation was still very prevalent at this time. As a matter of fact, in 1964, there's an infamous incident where a group of protesters chose to protest segregation by going together 
to a motel pool and swimming together. And the motel manager was so outraged by this that he chose to try to drive them out by pouring acid into the pool. Now, the acid that he poured into the pool was meant for pool use, and that's a relatively small container in a very large pool. You know, the acid really didn't cause a lot of damage, but what did cause damage is when the police began to beat the protesters and jump in and drag them out. You see, segregation wasn't just prevalent in 1964. It was actually enforceable by law. It was, it was the law of the land still in many places, and it was the common practice. It was accepted. Segregation is, is what people were used to. It was their way of life, and people were outraged by the idea that we would change that. And so I think Mr. Rogers was really making a statement just some short four years later when he did this. Mm, that feels good. Oh, there's Officer Clemens. Hi, Officer Clemens. Come oh, in. Roger, how are you? Fine. Won't you sit down? Oh, sure. Just for a moment. It's so warm. I was just uh, putting some water on my feet. Oh, it sure is. Would you like to join me? That looks awfully enjoyable, but I don't have a towel or anything. Oh, you share mine. Okay, sure. Around the country, they didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. And Fred said, that is absolutely ridiculous. Cool water on a hot day. You know, I, I don't think any of us in this room uh, harbor a lot of resentment for Samaritans in particular. And I would hope that in this day and age, uh, there wouldn't be any of us here who are still in favor of segregation. If there are, I would love to talk to you. Let's let's have a discourse about this. But what I've found is in that every time and in every place, we have a tendency to draw a distinction between us and them. You know, growing up, I was I was a military kid, and so my family is from Michigan, but I've lived in Alabama and in Germany, lived in Kansas and Texas, and I've lived in every different kind of area around the Metro Detroit. Area. I've lived in a lot of different places. And, you know, as a pastor, I read a very old book and I study a lot of different times in history. And, and I found it to be consistent, you know, throughout time and space. And every time and in every place, we have a tendency as people to draw a line between us and them. You know, they look different than us. They, they talk differently than, than we do. They, they might even smell different than us. You know, their values are different than our values. Their way of life is different than, than our way of life. The things that they eat are disgusting. I mean, can you imagine eating the kind of stuff that they eat and how it smells? Oh, it's just gross. And the way that they treat their families, I mean, the way that they choose to marry each other and the way that their husbands treat their wives and the way that their wives treat their husbands and the way that they together treat their children, it's atrocious. Can you imagine and I'm pretty sure that they're not as smart as us. You know, there's a whole category of joke where you can fill in the blank with whatever people group that you want. You know, I, I grew up hearing this joke. What's the best thing to come out of that place in the last 10 years? And the answer is an empty bus. And it doesn't matter what that place is. You can fill in that place. And I've lived in different places and heard that joke told with different places filled into that blank. But the message is that there is nothing good coming from that place. 
and there's no good people among those people. And we would rather they stay where they're at. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that they want what we have. I'm pretty sure they're out to get us. And we probably better get them before they get us. And the thing is, our concerns, our concerns seem so legitimate. They really do. You know, we've had an interaction with one of them, and it was, it was bad. I heard a story about them. You know, I have every reason to want to believe these things that are true. Now, you know, of course, Jesus should be kind to Samaritans, and Mr. Rogers should be kind to Francois, but, I mean, I, I could never. I could never. With those kind of people, you know, it's different. We always think that it's different, but it's really not. It's, it's very much the same. Jesus would have had good reason to be concerned about Samaria. The Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus, just by maybe his look or maybe his talk, he was identifiable immediately. It probably wasn't safe for a Jewish person to go through Samaria. They might be robbed. Who knows what might happen? You know, I hear that phrase a lot. That place is so unsafe. I don't want to go there. You know, but Jesus chose to to see those people those people that were different, and he chose to demonstrate his love by going there, by taking a step towards those people, by going through Samaria. The the passage that I want to read to you today, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you the story of the woman at the well. I was so excited. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 4, and let me tell you what I'm talking about. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, John Uh, has a little bit of a different perspective than the other gospel writers. Uh, John is a little bit more focused on the meaning of what's happening and a little bit less focused on the detail. But he gives us a lot of detail in this particular story. This is John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? I hope today to answer that question. Why is it that Jesus chose to ask this Samaritan woman for a drink? I think he was trying to demonstrate something for us. At this time, the Samaritan people were very clearly the they. They were the people that were not Jewish. As a matter of fact, it would be one thing if they weren't Jewish, but it was much worse because they were sort of kind of half Jewish. They were a mixed race. You see, the nation of Israel had been conquered multiple times, and this particular area was full of people that claimed Jewish heritage, but they were mixed race with the other area, with the other people in the area. And not only were they a mixed race, but they were a mixed religion. It would have been one thing if they just worshipped pagan gods, but they claimed to worship the God of the Jews, but they worshipped him in the wrong way. Instead of going to the temple, they would go up on the hills, and God was very clear in his law that you're not supposed to worship him up on the hills. And so there were, there were racial tensions, there was religious tension. I'm sure that there were cultural tensions around that. I'm sure that they ate things differently and did things differently. Whenever we separate from a group of people, it can be so easy to ascribe you know, bad motives to that group when we don't spend time with them. And so Jesus chose to take a step towards 
these people. So for us today, I think it's important for us to, to be honest with ourselves. When we think about, you know, who is that kind of person? Who are those kinds of people that I just really hope I don't have to talk to? You know, when, when I show up, even on a Sunday, I think as a church, I think we have a very diverse church. And it can be so easy to look across and say, okay, that person looks like me. I want to talk to them. You know, who are those people that you look at them and say, I don't even know what I would have to say to that kind of person. I don't, I don't know if I want to talk to that person. What, what is that area that you just really hope you don't have to go through? You know, if an event is held in that area or a restaurant is in that area, I don't think I want to go there. I don't think I want to go to that place. And the reason that I ask this, it's important to identify for ourselves who are those people that we don't want to be around. Because if we are followers of Jesus, if we want to live and love and look like Jesus, that's our theme for this year, to live and love and look like Jesus. And if we want to follow Jesus' example, then when we see people that are different than us, we need to take a step towards them rather than a step away from them. This passage started out in verse 3 with the phrase that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, I don't want to contradict the gospel, but there were other options. And as a matter of fact, usually people would choose to take an extra day or maybe an extra two days to go around Samaria because they really didn't want to go through Samaria. And by golly, if they had to go through Samaria, they at least wouldn't want to have to stop. You know, it's that kind of place where, you know, I might have to drive through there, but I really hope that my donkey doesn't get a flat hoof while I'm going through there because I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop there. But if we're followers of Jesus, we need to take a step towards those people, whoever those people are for us. You know, it's I mentioned safety. I hear that so often. Oh, that area is not safe. I want to go there because it's not safe. But as Christians, you know, if we look at a place and say, this place is so dangerous that I can't even go there in the middle of the day. How is it that I'm okay with people living there? How is it that it doesn't break my heart and make me want to do something? And so this is, you know, where I want to take us today. What is the something that I'm asking you to do? Once you've identified who those people are to you, those people that you normally wouldn't spend time with, and, and once you've taken a step towards them, you've made a choice that I'm going to show up in their lives, whether it's just across the church foyer or whether it's actually driving to a different area. Once you've decided to go there, what do you do when you get there? Well, what did Jesus do? How did he start this conversation? He started by asking. He asked for a drink. When we ask someone for something, we're recognizing their dignity. We're not giving them dignity because they already have dignity. Every human who's made in the image of God inherently has dignity. I mean, that's core to what we believe even as Americans. But when you ask someone for something, you're recognizing that they have something, that they have something of value, that they have something of value that they might even contribute to you. When you look at someone and your immediate thought isn't about how backwards or wrong or different and how much they need all the things that you have. When your first thought is, what do you really have to offer? What can I see in you? What value can I find in you? You give this person dignity. It changes your heart and it starts the relationship off in the right direction. It changes the dynamic of the relationship when you approach someone and say, you know, what can you do for me? And when we ask questions... When we seek to understand before being understood, we might actually learn something. You know, when we recognize that although there are differences, I may have something to learn from this person. I don't want to assume that because we're different, I'm automatically right. Or even just taking the time to, to understand why is it that you would believe this way? 
You know, you know, I've found a lot of the times when people do things different than me, once I've learned their story, I find myself thinking, you know what, if I had that experience, I would probably feel the same way. When we seek to understand before we seek to be understood, then we're following in the steps of Jesus. And we're recognizing the value that another person has. This woman that Jesus was talking to had a lot of issues. She, she had you know, some marital issues. She'd been married multiple times. Uh, she had some religious issues. She had a lot of questions about you know, who Jesus was. But ultimately, in the end of their conversation, this woman shared the gospel with her entire community. And so many people came to Jesus and came to faith through the conversation that Jesus chose to have, the risk that he took in putting himself out there and going and meeting with her and having a conversation with her. Jesus knew what this woman could do. And so when we look at people, if we're followers of Christ, we have to look at them as people who are made in the image of God. Even people who are so, so different than us, they're made in the image of God and God has chose to express his character in a unique way in them. And he loves every single one of them so much that he would go to the cross to die for them. He loves them and feels about them the exact same way that he feels about us. And so as a church, we're going to do something together. We're going to celebrate communion. You know, the, the proper you know, name for this is the Eucharist because it represents Christ. It's a representation of Christ. But I, I like the term communion. We use the word communion because it means coming together, like in a union. And, and as we take communion, as we participate in this tradition, it's a symbol of our communion with God. You know, at this time, our, our ushers are going to prepare, and they're actually going to pass this out to us while we talk about it. And, and this is an act of faith. It's a symbol of our belief and our acceptance of Jesus Christ. It, it's a symbol of the way that, that we take his body and his blood, his spirit and his life into us. And if you don't believe that, if you're not sure of that, that's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to take this. You can just pass it on to the next person if you're not sure. If you have questions, I would love to talk with you after the service. Um, but this is a powerful symbol. It's a symbol of our communion with God, that God's body in Jesus Christ was broken so that we could be a part of the body of God, that, that God chooses to work in us, and that, that his blood, his life was, was spilt for us so that we could have that same life inside of us. So that's, that's why we take it into ourselves, because it's an acceptance into ourselves of Christ's life of his death and of his resurrection. It, it's taking it as communion. But it's also a communion with one another. You know, the, uh, the term for it, you could say the communion of the saints, everyone who believes, everyone who puts their faith in God. When we take this bread and we take this cup, it's a symbol that we are united with everyone else in this room and all over the world who has that same faith. It's saying that, that we're a part of the same work of God that all of these other people are. And when we take communion, you know, we all come to the table on the same terms. There's no one of us who's more deserving than another for Christ to die for us. There's no one of us who deserves that more than another. And there's no one of us who deserves that any less because Christ loves every one of us together. And when we recognize our communion with God and our connection with one another, I think, for me at least, it changes the way that I view other people people that don't yet have that faith. I think when Jesus saw this woman, he didn't see an enemy. But he saw someone that he loved, someone that he would die for, someone that was just one step away from being united with him in faith. 
And so when we see people that believe differently or think differently, people that don't have that same faith, we shouldn't look at them as enemies, but as, as lost brothers and sisters who Jesus loves. And if they would just put their faith in him, then they would have everything in common with us. The ushers are going to come forward now and pass out the elements. As they pass out the elements, I want you to take a moment and reflect on that idea. That idea that communion is a communion with God, that it unites us with God in faith. That communion is a communion with one another. That if we share the same faith, we share the same bread, we share the same cup, then, then we share the same spirit. And reflect on the idea that for people that don't yet have this faith, it is just as much a free gift for them as it was for us. And Christ loves them so much that he would die for them so that they could be in the same relationship that we are. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he, he puts it this way when he's talking about communion. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread.